Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn to Zephaniah. If you've never heard of that, I'm going to give you a little bit to get there. Um, if you've, uh, in front, if, if you've never looked for Zephaniah, this is what you're going to do. You're if you've been in church a while, you'll think, oh, I can find it, no problem. And for the rest of you, and then you'll skip over it because it's really small. So what you're going to want to do is go to the front, okay, and there's a list with page numbers. You just go there, and if you're using a pew, Bible, something in the back of the pew, um, the page number is up on the screen for you. Uh, the big number is the chapter, the little number is the verse, um, I think oftentimes we come to church and assume everybody knows how to read the Bible. Um, and so if, if this is your first time cracking it open, man, I'm, I'm excited. That's it. I'm, I'm so excited that you're doing this with us. Um, and also we want you to know that um, what we're talking about today comes from the Word of God. This is not Carl's opinion. This is not uh, my soapbox for the week. This is God's word for you today. And so I'll recap. We're in the third week of Advent. Um, and we found out the very first week that Advent means coming, arrival. Okay? Everybody say coming, arrival. And that very first week, we found out that hope, our hope, the hope we're all longing for, is based on promises not probabilities, that um, our hope as a Christian, the Christian's hope, is built on the promises that God has made, the promises he has fulfilled, and the promises he is going to keep, because hope is only as good as the person promising, right? And we found out that God is a God, the God we serve as Christians, is a God that does not disappoint. And in a world where it's filled with disappointment, that should be encouragement for your heart today. That the God you've come here to hear about does not disappoint. And the hope he offers does not disappoint. In week two, last week, we said God is at work in the mess. God is at work in the mess. And that in his love for you, so picture this, in his love for you, he refines, he works out, and, and, and because he came and he brought this hope and these promises, he brought hope and promise that he's coming back again. This is not it. When you woke up this, I woke up this morning and I did not want to do it today. Can I be, is that okay to say sorry? If you're here and you're like, oh my God, the pastor just said he didn't want to be here. Well, I mean, let me give you some context. I got up at... Uh, 3 o'clock yesterday morning, and I went to bed last night at 11.30. Um, 
And, and so when I, I, I woke, my alarm went off at 5.30 this morning, as it always does on Sundays, because I come here and I pray for you, because I, I want God to speak to your heart today. I don't want this just to be a checkbox for you. And I woke up, I slapped my phone off of the charger, um, fell on the floor, I picked it up, and I went back to sleep. And then about 20 minutes, oh, y'all don't do that? Well, this was my morning, and I got up, and, um, and I said, Lord, oh, God, I know it's Sunday, but I am tired, and this bed feels good. But I got up, and I came, and the reason is because God is at work here. And God is at work just as much in this heart as he is yours. As, I, as, as, I, as we allow the word of God that we preach here to bathe over our minds and hearts, he is just as much working in and transforming mine as he is yours. The moment you come to church, and, and there goes my notes. Watch, I'm going to come down here and get them. Um, the minute you allow this book to no longer bathe over your mind and soul and transform you, that's it. Look, don't, don't come to the pastor's office complaining about why God isn't working in your life when you don't ever crack the book to allow him to. Oh, well, I said it. It's, that's not my notes. But God is at work in the mess. So when your life seems messy, it's actually his love for you working something out in you. That the pain and the mess and the hurt, we, we, we learned this last week, the pain, the mess, the hurt, all of it in this life, on this side of heaven, is not purposeless. Have you ever looked at something and said, man, this makes no sense. This is, this is purposeless. No, it's not. God has purpose in it because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And now week three, we're going to kind of step into the already but not yet. Let me explain that. So Christ has already come, right? He promises to return again. And there's some things we're going to talk about today that are going to happen when he returns. But what we have to live in today, everybody say today. What we have to live in today is the already but not yet. So it's a, it's a period where it's almost like waiting for Christmas where there's, a, there's anticipation and we feel these longings, we feel these desires, and we just know we haven't made it yet. And things aren't perfect yet. Things aren't the way we want it. And, and so we're in the already but not yet. And there, there are two promises here in Zephaniah that he is about to proclaim about the coming of Christ. And, and so as we live in this in-between period, my hopes for you this morning is that when you leave, you'll understand the wrestle a little better. You know, it's a little easier to walk through a challenge when you understand why it's happening. You know what I'm saying? So, so if, you, if you know anybody who has walked through cancer and they have to have chemo and radiation, and it's... It's a draining, hard, 
oftentimes ugly process. But the re, it's, it's, while it's hard during it, it's, it's kind of, you understand why it's happening, right? You understand why you're going through this because you, there's something being cured, there's something being fixed. And so I don't want you to leave today and look at your life and say, I don't know why things are so, why things are the way they are. I want you to understand that there's a reason, there's a purpose that, that, that God has. And that there is an end to it. There is an end to suffering and sorrow and pain. And there's an end to waves of life. Everything will culminate one day when he returns. So, um, let's read together Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3, and we're going to start here in verse 9. You can follow along. We're just going to go 9 through 13, then we're going to pause. Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to present their offerings. On that day, you will no longer need to be ashamed, for you will no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all proud, arrogant people from among you. There will be no more haughtiness on my holy mountain. Those who are left will be the lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will never tell lies or deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety, and no one will make them afraid. So we're going to stop for a second. There's a couple promises that come out of this scripture, and we're going to cover the second promise in the second half. But the very first thing we see here that Zephaniah is prophesying, Zephaniah was a prophet. What that means is that Zephaniah um, received word from the Lord, and then he wrote it on a page. And so for the people of God, Jesus has not come yet. So, so, so you understand what's going on? Jesus is not here yet. <laughs> and, and the people are walking through times where they have to deal with difficult people. And if there's one sermon that everybody could use during the holiday season, is how to deal with difficult people. And everybody said, amen, okay. What we see here in the first half is that at the return of Christ, discord and conflict will vanish. Discord and content, discontent will vanish. Discord and conflict will vanish. And there's three ways this happened. You see, in 9 through 13, basically what Zephaniah is saying is that when Christ returns, he's going to put it all back together. Oftentimes, our lives can feel so segmented and, and kind of, you'll go for a period of time, smooth sailing, and then hit a bump in the road. Y'all know this feeling. But at the return of Christ, he's going to put it all back together. And honestly, when we say that when he returns, when Christ returns, and that 
uh, discord and conflicts will vanish. Um, we live in a time today that is, they, it's almost like people like discord, <laughs> especially on Facebook. Um, uh, you can, since the rise of the internet and social media, uh, literally it, anybody can get on any platform um, while back in the 70s and 80s, before all the internet, these, a lot of these people, they, their, their craziness would stay within their house. But now people can get on any platform and just g- gain this confidence, right? Now, I'm totally freedom of speech. Um, but uh, that doesn't make all speech equal. Is that, does that make sense? By that I mean uh, some people say some crazy things, right? Uh, and people say things just to stir the pot. Now, you might be that person today. Jason's over here like, that's me. I'm the guy. I'm the pot stirrer. <laughs> I'm not talking about Brunswick stew. I'm talking about... There are pe- have you ever do you have people in your life that they just say things to to get you to react? Uh-huh. Yeah. Just to cause discord. Just to cause conflict. People want to we live in a society that everybody wants to get enraged about everything. From plastic bottles in the ocean, which is awful, to abortion, to, I don't know, taxes. I mean, there's, everybody gets enraged about everything. There's, you never have, like, civil conversations anymore. Everything is just so, ah! Now, because we live in a, in a, in a culture like this, um, we often think it's normative for life to be conflict and discord. Did you know that's not what Christ had meant for you? Can you imagine a world with no conflict or discord? Just, just think about it for a second. Where you don't leave here, you're not, you're not anxious about going to that family meeting because you know you're not going to have those confrontations. Um, you, you don't have to worry about your coworkers uh, or, or you don't have to worry about your friends talking about you behind your back, the discord, um, the, the conflict. You don't have to worry about it. Can you imagine it? It's coming at the return of Christ. Now, there's three ways. Um, there's three ways. Uh, how, how, can, how, can we, how can Christ do this? There's three ways in Zephaniah here that he says he will accomplish this curing of discord and conflict. The first one is our lips will be purified He says right here in verse 9, then I will purify the lips or the speech of all people. What is the number one source of discontent and conflict? That mouth. Oh, hey, let me tell you something. I just witnessed something in the church. I just witnessed something. and Don't point at nobody when I say these things. Don't you point at nobody. And start a marital fight that you don't want. Especially on a Sunday when you want to take a nap. 
Don't start that fight. Just listen and let the Holy Spirit do its work, okay? Hold on, soapbox. We often want, as spouses or friends or any relationship we have with somebody else, can I tell you something? The worst thing you can do for your friends, your spouse, is try and be the Holy Spirit for them. By that I mean, you hear what that preacher's saying? Did you hear him? He's preaching to you. Oh, you laugh. But you Don't be the Holy Spirit for your friends or your family. Let the Holy Spirit do that. It'll save you a lot of lip purification. Listen. Our lips will be purified. The Bible tells us explicitly that life and death is in the tongue. The Bible also tells us the tongue is the hardest to tame above all else. You know what else the Bible says about the tongue? That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does that mean? That means if... Tread lightly here. If you have a problem with your mouth, it is not your mouth. Your heart is the problem. We can oftentimes get so frustrated with people that mouth off at us and not realize that, man, they're just ter- they're a terrible person. No, they've got a heart problem. And I'm afraid there are many in here today that the reason you talk the way you talk. The reason you're so negative is not because uh, that's just how you were born. It's because you have a heart problem. And people are trying to get you to control your lips when they should be in. They should be inserting Jesus into your heart. I about got fired up there for a second. I had to calm down. I forget we're in a Baptist church sometimes. And my my Pentecostal, uh, yeah. (laughs) If you don't go to church, I'm sorry, that makes no sense to you. But I get excited. I get excited about this. Our lips will be purified. Our lips will be purified. How many... I can't tell you how many people come to church and they've been wounded by something a church person has said. Right? And the church person that said it wasn't even thinking about it. They don't even remember it. There are people that have come to this church and left because of what something was said to them. We have to, we have to fix this. We have to fix this first. You have to... You have, what all through this book, it tells you that you have to, there's a problem here, and you're trying to fix what your hands and your mouth and what your mind is doing, and you're trying to fix all these actions when your problem is your heart, and you need Jesus. Well, I sat at the bedside with my daughter. She told somebody she wanted to cut them with a knife at school. My wife just went. believe he said that from the pulpit. My four-year-old sweet, beautiful angel. 
Now, she said she was copying someone else, but whatever. We get an email from the, the daycare. And the, you never think you're going to read this email. The email says, hey, just a little issue. Your daughter told another child she was going to cut her with a knife. You read the email. What was I doing? I was doing something. My wife was, text me back, please. Something's going on. I was in the middle of a meeting. or And she's like, check your email. So I'm in this meeting. I check my email, and I'm like, I failed as a parent. Got it. What was she thinking? Anyway, I'm rabbit trailing now, but. We sat, I picked her up, and her poor little heart, when she realized she's done something wrong, she just, she didn't know she, and I said, did you even apologize to this girl for what you said? Did you know what you said was wrong? Yeah, I knew I, knew I shouldn't have said that, and um, I said, do you apologize? Just tears, and she said, Daddy, I, I didn't even think to apologize. And I said something to her that Kirsten, a lot of people laugh at, but I, I think it's important for her to hear. And I, I said, Listen, baby, what we have is a heart problem, and we need Jesus. I said, Your daddy needs Jesus, your mama needs Jesus, and your little heart needs Jesus too. So we're, we're going to write this young girl a letter. But listen, there's coming a time where we're in the wrestle, right? We're in the already but not yet. And he's working these things out. His re refining love, the refining love we talked about last week, is working out these things in our tongues. But there's a day that that comes to an end when he arrives and he says our lips will be purified. And there will be no more discontent and conflict. The second way he does it is shame will be vanquished. Shame will be vanquished. Amen, sister. Shame will be vanquished. Now, some of you might be thinking, how does, what does shame have to do with getting rid of discord and content? Let me tell you what happens. When you operate under shame, where you look, and this, this, we may not be able to have an honest conversation this morning because we're at church and we're just put together. But is there anyone in here who you want to, you know, you want to pursue Christ and you're pursuing Christ, and, but there's always this one thing that keeps tripping you up? Maybe it's your mouth, maybe it's your pride, maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your, your white knuckling of things that aren't yours. I don't, I don't know. But there's, there's something in your life that continues to trip you up. And, and, and you wrestle with it. And you're like, Lord, and it's not in tears. God, I'm never doing this again. And then six weeks later, boom. What will happen is shame will creep into your heart. 
And people who feel a deep sense of shame and guilt, you know what that does? You know what those people do? They lash out at other people. And also become experts in everybody else's weaknesses. Because when you recognize in yourself that you have fallen short and you are not good enough, all of a sudden, all you want to do is point out and make other people seem worse than you. You do it. And you do it unconsciously most of the time. But the reason shame plays a piece in this is because when shame is vanquished, discord and conflict vanish as well. Because all of a sudden you are content in the cross of Christ. Discontent people will kill your Christmas. And shame will be vanquished when he returns. Um, and number three, arrogant boasters will be removed. It says right here in verse 11, at the end of verse 11, it says, I will remove all proud and arrogant people. I don't, I don't know how to say this is simpler than this, but some of you aren't tired enough. Some of you aren't tired enough. What I mean by that is, you still think you've got this covered. You think you can stroll through the pearly gates on your own. You think you can keep it together long enough to slip through the gates. And I'm here to tell you that your effort, your, there is not a single effort you can make to get through the gates on your own. Christ did it on the cross. You didn't. You didn't. He paid it for you. So if you're in here this morning and, and you are one of those, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You wouldn't even if I asked you to. You're one of those people who think you've got it covered. Um, maybe you're sitting on your high horse like I've made it. I did it. You didn't do it. If you're, if you're super athletic and you think, oh, it's because I trained. Look, I know a lot of people that train that are, that are never athletic. Look, look at this. Look at this. Hold on. I'm going somewhere. Look at this. You see this? I go to the gym at least once a week. I go to the gym at least once a week. There are people that go to the gym once a week. They don't look like this. Y'all laugh, but I'll sit down and eat a dozen donuts. Yeah, and I, this grows. There are other people that sit down and eat a dozen donuts, and they grow none. How does that happen? Now, listen. Now, let me be very clear. That is a blessing from the Lord. You're like, I can't believe he's making a, a point here in his sermon over this. I think it's important because if you're good at business, like you say, man, I'm good at business. It's not like you wrapped on the uterine wall and said, God, you, you know, uh, give me a good sense of business. No, he gave it to you freely. And many of us would consider that something I did. No, you did not. 
you're good with your money, if you're a good homemaker, if you're smart, if you're hardworking, listen, you did not do that. Everybody's getting offended now. Look, I'm sorry. I didn't come to rub your back. I came to tell you that praise be to God for everything in your life. Your financial wisdom, your ability to stir a pot for 17 hours. Your smartness, your everything is a gift from the Lord. And there is a day coming where those who are arrogant, what does it say right here? It says, those who are left in verse 12 will be lowly and humble. We should be directing all praise to God. You didn't do it. Also, that is the first time I've ever used uterine wall in my sermon. (coughs) All right. So, those are the three ways he covers in Zephaniah that the Lord kind of, he fixes this discord and conflict issue. Our lips, he purifies. The shame, he wipes away. And the arrogance, he crushes. Do you see the picture here? Those who are haughty and think they did it? Because let's be honest. When everything's going good, that's my, I did that. When everything's going good in your life, watch. I'm doing a good job. But it's when things are going wrong that all of a sudden we realize our dependence obviously should not be on ourselves, but should be on him. It drives us towards dependence on him. So here we are (coughs) waiting and praying and asking God to come back um, quicker, soon, soon, come Lord, quickly. That's how Revelations, the last book in the Bible, that's how it ends. The uh, uh, John, um, the revelator, says, Maranatha, or come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're living in this tension between. And this wrestle, because lips haven't been purified yet. And you know that because you'll run your mouth. Maybe that's a West Virginia phrase. Um, I still feel shame. From time to time. I still pat myself on the back way too much. We're not there yet. He's in his love. He is still chiseling away at these things because he hasn't come yet. He's still working all this out through his Holy Spirit. And as we get ready to approach Christmas where we're going to dinners with friends and family that we have to tolerate a couple times a year. And some of you are like fasting and praying for the holidays. You're like, Lord, I need your help because I know my lips aren't purified and I'm going to run my mouth off at somebody and I'm going to say some things I shouldn't say. And you fa- you're fasting. You just don't want it to happen. But you can't fast too much because your blood sugar will drop. And so you, you keep it like a peanut butter cookie in your pocket just in case they're there. I just spent some time with my dad, and he keeps peanut butter cookies in his pocket. He's, di- he's got diabetes. <laughs> 
Everybody just picture that guy with the beard. Yep, you did. It's then, it's in this tension that you feel. Look, you feel this. Point, tap yourself in the chest. I need you to feel that because you are walking through this tension and you will until he returns. But it's his refining love that exposes that need for correction and chiseling. You have not arrived. Their second thing he promises we see here in this last part. Joy becomes our default mode of living. When Christ returns, joy becomes our default mode of living. This means that a lot of us in the room today have different defaults. Some of us default negative. You know, you're the half-class full person. Some of us default positive. Some of us default um, uh, antagonistic. You're like always, you know, everybody has different defaults, but all of us will have a, a, a default that changes when we get to glory. And it's the default of joy. Unstoppable, irreplaceable joy. Everyone under the sound of my voice this morning needs more joy. Let's read 14 through 20. Read with me. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment. And will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over. And you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love, he will calm all your fears. Praise God. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal severely with all those who oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless ones. I will bring together those who were chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles wherever they have been mocked and shamed. Listen to this. Verse 20. On that day. I will gather you together, I love this, and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among all the nations of the earth as I restore your fortunes before their very eyes. I, the Lord, have spoken. Wow, what a picture. We go from, look, here's what I'm going to correct. There's going to be a correction. There's going to be some chiseling. There's going to be some things being worked out in this middle time, during this interim time. I, I came as a baby. Now I'm, I'm coming again, and, and we feel this wrestle. 
But there's something coming. There's a joy coming. And he bursts here in verse 14 and says, sing. You know, music has an effect. Singing has an effect. All of us, you know, some of us, um, I, I think all of us in this room probably like music of some sort. It probably varies. Um, but like when I, when I go to the gym, a lot of gym stories here recently. Um, I'm not trying to overcompensate because I am what I am. But when I am at the gym, I see a lot of people and they'll put on these headsets, right? And they'll put on their headphones. And when they're trying to make these big lifts, I guarantee you what they're not listening to. They're probably not listening to Bach or Beethoven. Because oftentimes I can hear it screaming from their headphones, hard rock. There's, there's music for every occasion. And we know this because music connects the head and the heart. Uh, just get outside of church. Get outside of church for a second. Outside of church, music does something. God created music. You know God was the author of music. He, he, God was the origin of music, and it connects the head and the heart. So, so there's something for, for every situation. There's, there's music that's appropriate for, for lifting weights. You want to get pumped up. There's you know, when, when you want to make a special environment with your lady, you don't go to DMX. You don't go to Def Leppard to just set the mood. No, what do you do? I don't know what you do. John Legend. Or Kenny Chesney. I'm sorry, I forgot the room I'm in. Whatever. Um, Frank Sinatra. That'll set the mood. Right? You know this is true. Music connects the head and the heart. And so what you see here in Scripture is God says, Sing, shout aloud, O Israel. Because there's, there's a knowledge that has been connected to the heart all of a sudden. That this is not it. This is not all there is. There is joy coming. There's going to come a time where joy will overflow. There's going to be a time standing, we talked about this last week, standing before the throne, paying an account, where he will pull out the file, he'll pull out your page that has your name written on it. Because your name's been written down in the book of life. And you'll have to pay an account. But on this report, it's going to say blameless, holy. And, and you know why? It's not because of anything you've done. It's because it's dripping with the blood of Jesus Christ that has been poured over your insufficiency. Glory to God. That I get to stand before the God of all creation. That song we sing says, you are God, God of all creation. The whole earth groans for you. And these longings and these desires that you feel, these I'm not here yet, you know, because we go through life this way. It's like, I want to, first it's I, I want to graduate high school. I want to get out of school and then I want to get out of college and then 
then I want to get married, and then the marker moves again. I want to, I want to have kids, and then, and then I want to have a good job, and then I want more money, and then I want a bigger house. And it goes on and on and on because there's a longing inside you. I need more friends. I need different friends. I need a different job. These longings, these groanings, these things you're chasing after, what that is, is I'm not there yet. And we try and fill it with things. This feeling of restlessness, that longing you have is for the God of all creation. This restlessness you feel. Now, two, two people I want to talk to today. One is the Christian. This restlessness you will still. So if you accept Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, it doesn't fix the restlessness. It doesn't wipe it out. You still feel it. I stand here behind this podium today restless for his second return. Do I want to die? No. Do I want to see Jesus? Yes. You may say, Carl, why, why do you want to see Jesus? I mean, what's the big deal? What's the big deal, Carl? Why, why is Jesus coming? Why do we celebrate Advent? What's the big deal? Why do you want to see him so bad? And the only thing I could say to you would be, you don't know the price he paid for me. You don't know how far he reached to pick me up. And it's in recognizing how far he reached for you that you understand this restlessness to see him and see him come again. This is why we celebrate our house Looks like Christmas just barfed all over it. We got lights, we got ornaments, but we can't have colored lights in our house. My wife has said only clear lights in this house because it needs to look like jo Joanna Gaines. She lives there, yeah. And I'm like, no, we need colored lights, but that's a rabbit trail. Listen, I, I don't want to. And all of us are going to go through. All of us are going to go through this. There's this anticipation of Christmas. Right? You're ready for it to be here. And we'll go through and we'll have our Sunday Christmas service. We'll have our Christmas Eve service. And then we'll have Christmas and we'll dance around a little bit. We'll, I think we're, we're doing something with my parents on Christmas Eve. And then... We're going to hang out with Kirsten's family on Christmas Day. We'll open presents, and, and I'm going to get frustrated with Macy because she's going to do something stupid. Like, I didn't want this toy, and I'm going to be like, I'll burn all your toys. Don't try me. And we'll begin to take down the lights and the ornaments pack them away and every one of us will feel a sense of disappointment as everybody goes home and the holiday's over. Everybody feels it, just a tinge of disappointment. 
And all this is is a shadow. It's just a shadow that's meant to dial us in that one day there's not going to be any packing up. There's going to be a joy that's everlasting. There's going to be a day where celebration never ends, where you don't have to battle discontent and conflict anymore. That there will be, on that day, it says right here, listen, on that day I will gather you and bring you home again. There is a day coming where there will be no cancer, there will be no sickness, there will be no form of a depression or hurt or pain or trying to figure it out anymore. There's a day coming when he returns for you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.